Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 115 being recorded on Thursday, February 1st, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, Jason, uh, here we are on the first day of February. 2018 is zipping by, and today was interesting because it's kind of like the Super Bowl of tech companies. Uh, yesterday, we had eBay and Facebook announced, and then today we have the three A's, Amazon, Alphabet, slash Google, and Apple. Um, so a lot of news coming out of those results, uh, and the all these companies are, are announcing how their fourth quarter of 2017 went, which is uh, always exciting in the world of retail because that's the, the biggest quarter. So uh, tonight we're going to really focus in on Amazon on this episode, and we're going to have a hot take on some of the analysis of their fourth quarter 2017 results. Uh, And then at the end, if we have some time, we are going to hit a couple other highlights of some of the other quarterly announcements. So uh, long-time listeners know this, but it's always important to refresh everyone's memory. When you when you look at these different results, it's important to kind of think about the baseline out there. And as an industry, we're growing, looks like for the holiday, uh, e-commerce came in at 16 to 18%. Retail came in, what, like 4%, Jason? Is that kind of what it's been? Yep, yep. Three yep. Even a little so higher, like 4.5%. Four, Cool. So those are those are kind of the benchmarks, and you know I think the 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 way I view the world is if you're growing faster than those, you're gaining share. If you're growing slower, uh, you're losing share. And if you're not growing, you're you're pretty much toast in the world of e-commerce and retail. So let's start. Uh, let's kind of peel this thing like an onion and start at the outside uh, with some big picture things. Uh, so Jason, I thought I threw this in here for you first. We talk a lot about conversational commerce and the whole echo ecosystem. Uh, and this is, this was probably the most strong Bezos quote I have ever seen in any of Amazon's quarterly press releases for the last 20 years. Uh, so I'll read it in its entirety. Uh, so Bezos said, quote, our 2017 projections for Alexa were very optimistic and we far exceeded them. We don't see positive surprises of this magnitude very often expect us to double down. So, uh, that was pretty interesting and kind of like a, you know, you have to read that while you look at that picture of Jeff Bezos, where he's like, you've seen the meme where he was like super geeky on one side and now he's all ripped. Yep. So you have to, you have to imagine the ripped Jeff Bezos list kind of saying that one. Um, you know, they sold tens of millions of echoes, uh, in Amazon's press releases. They, they put a little bullet in there for every one of the, uh, the, the press releases they issued over the quarter. This one had over 50 bullets. Uh, I would say a good quarter of them were, uh, around echo. Um, Anything you want to add around Echo? Yeah, well, it's just funny because I remember it wasn't very long ago, maybe even two years ago, um, Echo was just starting to get some traction. And I think you mentioned to a reporter that you thought that it potentially could be the next billion-dollar business for Amazon. And that was a shocking, surprising prediction that that uh, people were asking you to back up. And, you know, you it – uh, tens of millions of, of uh, Echo devices uh, get you pretty close to there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, if we assume, so I guess the lowest you can spend is like 40 for a dot. Uh, and then, you know, the most you can spend is like 150. So I'd imagine the average is a hundred bucks. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, you know, depends on the, the tens of millions is the trick. Like, yeah, well, but even 10 million range. at a hundred bucks <laughs> gets you there. So that's yeah. the, yeah. um, boom, we're there. Cool. <laughs> exactly. So as per usual, you, you were right. And then, uh, you know, I, I think it's one of the scariest stats I keep seeing about this is, uh, like it is now the top two selling products on Amazon period, like are that, that echo dot and the fire stick. Yeah. And since we're on the topic over on the Google side, they were asked, uh, when they're going to start monetizing it and their CEO, uh, Sundar Pachai, I think is how you say his name. Um, he said that they're really just focused on the user experience and nailing that and monetization is very far away. So, uh, that was interesting that, you know, that they, you know, a lot of people read that quote as them kind of admitting they're a little bit behind and they can't really worry about monetizing it until they catch up with with where Alexa slash Echo are. Cool. So continuing with the big picture, uh, Amazon's total revenue. And uh, another footnote is uh, if you hear me say some numbers that may be a little bit out of line with what you've read in some press releases or, or seen in the news – I always take there's always two sets of Amazon numbers. There's the ones that are just the raw numbers, and then there's the ones that take into consideration the effects of uh, foreign currencies. Uh, and in Wall Street slang, that's XFX, so the excluding the foreign exchange changes. So if a British pound oscillates twenty or thirty percent, that will juice your earnings. So if you strip that out, it it kind of is more apples to apples. So I always go with the apples to apples numbers. So that being said, uh, Amazon's revenue excel accelerated in the fourth quarter to 36%, uh, and that's up from a 34% growth rate uh, in Q3. And they came in with a $60.5 billion revenue number, uh, which is not too shabby. And, uh, you know, every every quarter, uh, public companies tend to give guidance, and this was very much at the top of Amazon's guidance. Uh, Wall Street was expecting um, the, let's see, Yes. So uh, this was also uh, above Wall Street's expectations. They're expecting 59.8. And uh, so this you know, exceeded by it looks like 0.7, which doesn't feel like a big deal, but that's like seven hundred million dollars. So uh, that's that's pretty, pretty nice beat. Um, the key drivers of the quarter were Amazon Web Services, which is the cloud computing. Uh, and then they have this tricky category called other revenue. And most Wall Street analysts agree the biggest chunk in there is ads. So the ad business we talk about a lot on the show, which would include the AWS and uh, AMS and AMG businesses, uh, that grew. That also accelerated growth, and it grew sixty percent versus fifty eight percent the last quarter. Um, Amazon had a very you know, profitability improved pretty dramatically uh, in the quarter. Uh, marg- gross margins ticked up. Last quarter they were thirty five point two, and they ticked up to thirty six point four. So that's what you would call a hundred basis point uh, kind of move, which is pretty substantial at these levels. On the conference call, the CFO attributed it to uh, the North America business and retail doing really well at scale. Uh, AWS contributed to that, as did he. Actually, called out the ad business is starting to kind of move the needle on gross margins here, which which I think is pretty interesting because uh, it's actually pretty small. I think it's um, 
six billion annualized. So that would be like maybe two billion at this point in the fourth quarter. So it must be just pure margin to be able to move the gross margins of the larger sixty billion dollar business, uh, you know, uh, in a meaningful way enough for the CFO to call it out. Um, so a lot of folks are reading the tea leaves there and saying, hmm, that that ad business is really starting to you know kind of show up in ways it hasn't before. Um, and hopefully there'll be a day when it gets to be big enough that they have to carve it out like they did AWS because I think we're all curious to really see what's going on inside of there. Um, let's see. I talked about that. Uh, they also made kind of another one of these kind of things you have to parse where they said more new members joined Prime in 2017 than ever before, which I think, you know, when you're growing the rate they're growing, you would assume that's the case. Uh, but then, uh, you know, most estimates out there, Amazon does not disclose the number of Prime memberships out there. Most folks kind of put it at about 60 million U.S. households out of 250 U.S. households. So, uh, you know, really good penetration there. Um, some surveys, as you go up into the upper upper uh, income levels, you get north of 50% penetration. Uh, and they did say 5 billion items shipped with Prime over the year. So for the year, that puts Amazon at $177 billion in revenue. Uh, just to put that in perspective, Walmart is at $400 billion, so they're not even half of Walmart when you look at it this way through the pure revenue lens. Um, so uh, that's interesting. But you know, Walmart, uh, I don't think they've announced yet, but they, they typically have been growing kind of, um, even though their e-commerce is growing pretty strongly now, overall they've been growing low single digits. So I, I would be surprised if they don't, you know, if Walmart comes in above maybe 5% growth uh, all in. Um, the other thing that was a nice surprise is uh, this is the first quarter where profits have come in over a billion. You know, you and I talk a lot to people that uh, you know the, the number one thing uh, that you hear when you talk to executives about Amazon is, oh, Wall Street's giving them a pass; they're unprofitable; they're a money losing kind of business. The only thing inside of there that makes money is the cloud computing, et cetera, et cetera. None of those things are true. So, uh, if you took cloud computing out, the whole entity at Amazon still makes money, uh, even if you took ads out. I'm sure. Um, now it is true uh, they do carve out the retail business. They show you a PNL for North America and international. Uh, North America is quite profitable, um, and then international is still losing money. But that's because they're building, you know, they're investing like you know two billion dollars in India. They're still investing in China. They just launched Australia. Uh, you know, there's something going on down in Latin America, Brazil. So so it's just because that they're investing pretty heavily there. So. Uh, not only did profits come top a billion dollars for the first time in a quarter, they came in at 1.9 billion. This is a really big surprise for Wall Street because I think they're expecting more like 500 million. Um, now, uh, it, some of that is one time. So Amazon did say that about 800 million of that 1.9 billion uh, was from the new tax plan that rolled out. So the decrease in the corporate tax rate in the United States um, helped out Amazon uh, pretty immensely. Um, but you know, what's interesting is uh, you know I've talked about this, but but Amazon really doesn't care about profits, which sounds weird. Um, and the reason they don't is when you're a public company, it, it's almost impossible to you know, grow profits in a way that makes sense because of the way accounting treatment happens. Um, you know, your revenue gets spread out, your costs get spread out and all these things happen. So Amazon believes a better measure of how the business is doing is free cash flow. Uh, and that was 3.3 billion. So, uh, a lot of cash getting generated at Amazon, even though they continue to invest at a torrid pace and fulfillment centers and those kinds of things. So, uh, that's the big picture. Uh, Jason, you want to, uh, look at the retail side? Yeah. And I, just one sort of thing that I, I always chuckle about, like there's a, a, a number of people that feel like 
uh, to some extent, Amazon manages their investments to make sure that they don't have a significant profit. Um, and so, like, under that theory, you can imagine that they were, like, mildly annoyed at the the um, tax savings that kind of came in with this big lump profit at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, they didn't say that on the call, but um, it's possible. Yeah. Um, and so on the, the retail side of the business, and we'll, we'll break this down when we get into the marketplace, but from a pure revenue side, North American revenues were at $37.3 billion for the quarter, which is a 42% year-over-year growth. So again, uh, you know, you compare that to the, the kind of in, e-commerce industry growth at 16%, um, and you know, they're, they're continuing to eat up uh, market share at a a pretty scary pace. Like I really only know of one retailer with meaningful volume that's potentially growing faster than them. And that's, that's Walmart. And obviously they're growing a, a much smaller number. Um, and to your point, international grew uh, slower uh, at 22%. Um, and, you know, that's, that's somewhat interesting. Like obviously they're still in, in the early investment stage in a bunch of these markets, but the, but they're, their share in a lot of those markets is much smaller. So, you you know, it, it's actually easier to grow much faster. And so that, uh, to me, that that highlights the fact that they still have their work cut out for them to uh, to win and be a meaningful player in some of those big, big international markets, particularly India, that they're they are uh, in a knife fight in. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, looking at the marketplace, which is where I spend a lot of my time. So the way I think about it is uh, if, if there is a, a, a pie chart of Amazon or, or kind of a diagram, you have AWS and other. If you pull those out, you're left with the retail business. And the retail business has two pieces, what we call 1P, which is the traditional wholesale model, and 3P, which is the marketplace model. Um, Amazon has always historically been pretty kind of silent about giving details about the marketplace. Uh, the one, the two things they do talk about are unit growth. So uh, overall in the entire retail entity, unit growth was 23%, which is pretty interesting. And it makes you kind of say, all right, if the retail business, if you kind of look at the the midpoint of that 42 and 32, the retail business probably grew kind of mid thirties, unit growth grew 23%. How did they grow mid thirties? Uh, and that's just selling, uh, you know, that's an increase in average order value essentially. So, uh, you know, the value per unit that goes through has gone up. So Amazon gets a lot of nice multipliers in their model because of the scale they're at. So, um, they used to talk about the number of users they're acquiring that slowed down pretty dramatically. Uh, and, but then, you know, revenue itself accelerated. And that's another indication that the revenue per uh, active user was really growing because of prime. Uh, the other metric they disclose uh, is they talk about a unit mix between 1P and 3P, uh, and that is now 51%. That's not a high watermark. I think um, uh, in Q1 and Q2, it was at 51%. Then Q3, it dipped to 50% because of all the Echo uh, Prime Day, day stuff. Uh, and then it came back here to 51% for the holiday quarter. Um, so long, long time listeners of the show know that this is marketplace piece is really important because, uh, you know, to really understand the impact of Amazon, there's, they're, they're essentially an iceberg and we really only see the tip of the iceberg and that, that big kind of mass underneath the water at Amazon is the marketplace. So, so here's how it works. Let me kind of walk you through the math. So if we think about the quarter and use kind of round numbers, they did 60 billion in revenue, uh, 5 billion of that was AWS. So you take that out and now you have essentially 55 billion in retail. There's like a billion or two of ads in there, but let's keep the, the math simple at 55 billion. Uh, now, 
while it says 51% of units were 3P, that doesn't mean that you take that 55 and divide it by half because the way Amazon recognizes revenue for each of these pieces of business is different. In the 1P world, revenue equals sales. So I sell a $100 widget, my revenue is $100. Easy. It's how everyone's used to doing it. But in the 3P world, uh, the accounting rules say when a third party, let's say we have, uh, I don't know, Jason's uh, audio shop and you know he has all this awesome audio equipment. He sells a $100 mixer on there. A uh, Amazon collects $10 as the commission. So now what happens is you have the revenue is actually the $10 and the transactional value of the item sold is what we call GMV or gross merchandise value in the world of marketplaces. So you have this kind of this weird thing that happens where the actual transactional volume is not revenue anymore. It's a small percentage that Amazon takes as a commission or we use the word take rate. So if we take that $55 billion for the quarter uh, and uh, when I do my analysis on this, the about $47 billion of that is first party. So that leaves, call it $8 billion for our – I guess that would be – yeah, $8 billion uh, for third party. Okay, so – but that $8 billion for third party is really just the commission rate and – I argue if you want to apples to apples this to other retailers, you have to gross that back up because when uh, someone bought the audio device from Jason's store on Amazon uh, versus Best Buy, Best Buy lost $100 even though Amazon only made $10, if that makes sense. So the transactional value is the zero-sum game out in the world of retail. So if we take that $8 billion, that's the revenue for third party, and we assume just kind of keep it easy, the take rate of 10%, you, you have to – effectively multiply it by 10 and you get 80 billion. So first party was 47 billion uh, and then third party is about 80 billion. So, you know, by my math, when you add this up, the the total GMV for the quarter, when you include 1P and 3P is 129 billion. This is all a very long way of saying essentially Amazon's twice as big as people think it is. Um, and when you look at that context, uh, you know, if that's what they're doing at a quarterly rate, uh, 120 billion, multiply that by four, you get 480 billion. Then uh, Amazon, apples to apples, is as big, if not bigger, than Walmart at this point um, when you actually look at the transactional implications. So then the other natural question is so if I'm saying 47 billion first party, 80 billion third party, uh, that's kind of like a third, two thirds out of the total. Why is that unit number 51%? And the unit number gets very skewed. Uh, the the bulk of 1P units at Amazon are books and digital items. Uh, they even include like if you bought a 99 cent app on your uh, you know, your, your, uh, fire, your Kindle kind of device, uh, that counts in there. So it tends to have a, a much lower AOV compared to 3P. So, uh, so what that's the unit mix is 51%, but the GMV mix skews higher towards third party. So usually kind of like, I think it ends up being like 62% this year versus 38 on the other side. So, uh, now other, there's other ways to calculate this, and Amazon is, is gives uh, – when they release their quarterly, their Qs, which is their SEC documents, they, they, had, they haven't done that, the annual one. Um, there'll be some numbers in there that give us another view of that. And when you look at kind of what Wall Street puts out, um, they're in the ballpark. My, my way of doing it tends to come out a little bit high, so I'm kind of in the – you know, the 129, uh, and I've seen some of the analysts kind of looking more at like the 120. So uh, we'll see. No, no matter how you slice it, though, uh, you know, it's pretty huge. Uh, Amazon's bigger than people think it is. 
And this whole entity is growing at, you know, 38, 36% year over year. Uh, and they're, they're really just kind of, you know, destroying share. I'm sure we'll start to see articles coming out where, you know, I've seen art some already where they got half of the e-commerce growth, but I think it's probably actually gonna be bigger than that. And I think they, they definitely took up, you know, a lot of the overall retail growth when you're looking at the scale of these numbers. Um, the other last thing is, uh, you know, one of my favorite things every year is the Bezos annual letter. Uh, that doesn't come out until they do their final SEC documents. And the way this works, a little insider baseball, um, when, you, when you're a public company, uh, you put out these quarterly reports and you do a very quick audit um, on that uh, with auditors to put them out. But then when you do your annual and you have to go back and kind of do a forensic audit of the entire year. So that'll go on. And then usually in the first week of April is when Amazon publishes their annual numbers uh, to the SEC, which will include an annual report, and that will have the Bezos letter. So uh, we have to wait, unfortunately, until April to read that. Yeah, uh, and that definitely will be worth waiting for. Uh, I mean, great, great breakdown. I, I know there's a lot of detail there. Uh, for, the, for folks that are newer, um, that GMV point Scott makes is super important. I just like to think of that as that's how much money consumers gave Amazon in exchange for goods or how much of a consumer's wallet Amazon got. And so that's why when you're comparing them to any other retailer, the, the really important thing is what share of the consumer spending did Walmart get versus Amazon versus Target or anyone else. And so if you're a, a retailer that doesn't have a marketplace like Target and you say you you sold $50 billion for the quarter uh, – that's how much of the consumer's dollars you got, 50 billion bucks. And in, in Amazon's case, they said they they got 43 billion in revenue, but that actually equals 82 billion of consumer spending. And so obviously um, the, they are, they are uh, out there killing it. Now, Walmart also has a marketplace. It's a much smaller percent of their total revenue. Um, but so Walmart is another retailer where if you want to look at them really closely, you also would try to back into a a GMV number versus revenue. Got it. Um, so moving forward, uh, Amazon doesn't think they're slowing down either. So uh, they they uh, <laughs> set their their uh, Q1 guidance um, in that forty seven point eight billion to fifty point eight billion. Um, so that would be uh, somewhere between a thirty four and forty two percent year over year growth. So. You know, so middle of that's thirty-eight uh, percent, um, which again growing much faster than the overall industry. Second biggest player in the industry is Walmart. They're growing even faster than than Amazon and e-commerce at the moment. And so when you you talk about the sixteen percent average, there aren't a heck of a lot of retailers that are growing at sixteen percent. Most of other e-commerce sites are actually doing much worse than that because the two guys at the very top of the ecosystem are are growing so fast. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy to see the biggest players in the industry growing this, this fast. Um, so, you know, it'd be interesting to see what sort of, uh, numbers the wall street analysts put out, uh, in terms of their projections for the 2018 and 2019 models. But I don't think they, they do the, these, this close to the earnings call. Is that right, Scott? Yeah, um, I saw one guy uh, updated his model, um, and he said 2018 will be 234 billion, and 2019 will be 284 billion. So, um, still, still really big numbers. One of the things that was um, 
you know, making some of the Wall Street guys a little skittish is the revenue guidance, uh, like you said, is pretty solid at kind of like a 38% growth point at the midpoint. Um, and everyone's so used to Amazon coming in at the high side, everyone's kind of thinking it'll be 40%, so we'll see. Um, but then uh, their bottom line guidance was pretty light. So it was kind of like 300 million to a billion, which kind of either is conservatism or Amazon saying, hey, we're going to, we had a great fourth quarter, we're going to go through another investment cycle. So uh, the Wall Street folks that, that follow Amazon, they kind of live in fear of these kind of Amazon goes to these harvest periods where they'll harvest a bunch of investments they've made. This this year is very much a harvest year. So, you know, really good bottom line, probably underspent on CapEx from and and you know, uh you know, overachieved on the bottom line as well. Uh and then uh you know everyone lives in fear that they're gonna wake up one day and say, all right, we're gonna invest three billion dollars in original content or, you know, a you know, our whole own fulfillment system with trucks and everything or, you know, so um, so that's that's kind of the as as it, things ratchet up there, the worry kind of the wall of worry gets higher. And this was the one kind of negative that I saw everyone call out was, you know, what, you know, what could they be spending that much money on? That's like an incremental billion and a half of spend. Uh, and they're going to want a lot of color around that. And they were, they were kind of elusive on the phone call about giving any details of what's going on there. So it's going to be a wait and see through the first quarter. Um, one thing I always watch is the announcements around number of fulfillment centers. So that's a, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, to my knowledge, I didn't see them announce any in January, which is kind of unusual. Um, they may have been in a quiet period. So maybe we'll see a little bit of a raft of those coming out now that they've announced earnings. Yeah. And there's a whole, you know, there, there's a um, a big crop of openings that they try to get done before holiday, obviously. So it, it makes a little sense that it would slow down. Yeah, they they uh, they're, I'm sure they need a month to kind of breathe. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one other piece of interesting Amazon news um, that's come across my desk this month that's not directly related to the earnings, but I still think is exciting um, is it appears a lot of. Uh, uh, One Piece sellers on Amazon are uh, getting new options for what content they get to put on their product detail pages. Um, so historically, there's basic content that you provide to Amazon, and Amazon you know puts on that PDP for free. And then there are uh, like richer media options that would let you do things like you know have some uh, product comparison charts or some some animated uh, uh tutorials explaining your product or videos or things like that and those are often called uh, a plus content and they're super important to uh the the engagement and conversion rate on those on those pages um but they're you know they generally have been a premium thing that Amazon has has charged for um and uh this quarter we're seeing Amazon start to give away a bunch of what were the traditional A plus content options. So making them free to, to any seller and they're adding even uh, more exotic options that you can pay for. So it's essentially a lot of sellers are getting the option to customize their PDPs to a far greater extent than they've ever been able to before. And, you know, given that Amazon has become such an important distribution point for so many products, um, that that's really important to a lot of sellers. So it's interesting to me that they they continue to evolve that pretty rapidly. Cool. Do you know? Um, so there's always this kind of it's been hard to keep track of. Uh, you know, some of these things are available to one P and some are three P and some are both. Do you know um, if this is on both sides or is it just for brands or is it 
Is it also third-party sellers? Yeah. So I have primarily seen this exclusively on the 1P. I can't definitively say that it's not available on the 3P, but like one of the things you have to think about, it's it's hard for Amazon to sell actual like extra product attribute opportunities on the 3P side because all the sellers share the same PDP. And so essentially... You know, one one seller would be paying for that extra content and then all the the other people piggybacking on that listing would be riding along for free. Yeah. Um, So like for the most part, I see that these opportunities at the PDP level um, are exclusively to one piece sellers. But but uh, Amazon isn't super uh, they like, frankly, they're they're not very good at like publishing a open price list and saying, Hey, here's all the programs we have and here's how much they cost. And they're the same for everybody. You know, it, it feels like for the most part, they, they offer everything and negotiate everything on a like major account by account basis. And so, uh, um, like not, not every seller tends to get the same options or the same deal. Cool. So that's kind of some, uh, a good roundup of, Amazon's quarter. Um, any other interesting Amazon news before we kind of widen the lens and look at other companies? Uh, I think I think that's the bulk of it. The, I have there is some interesting conflicting rumors out there about um, Amazon's effort to monetize ads on, on the Alexa ecosystem. Cool. What what are you hearing? Uh, well, so there there had been some rumors at the beginning of the year that a few um, uh, big sellers had been offered a promotional opportunity um to buy to be the recommended product uh via voice commerce when someone's ordering a product for the first time so so that sounds more complicated than it is so if you say uh, alexa order batteries and you've bought a bunch of batteries before amazon's going to use your purchase history to try to predict what batteries you're talking about but if you've never bought batteries before amazon's going to come back and say uh, I have a Amazon Elements eight pack of AA batteries. Is that what you want? And you can say yes or no. Um, and so there was there was some rumor that like brands were getting the opportunity to be that that Amazon choice product. Um, and then uh, last week, Amazon sort of came out publicly and said, no, no, no. Uh, you know, we've we've looked at at uh, adding ads to the the Amazon ecosystem, and we just don't think that makes sense, and we think it's disruptive to the user experience. And so they've they've sort of uh, explicitly said that they're not doing that. So so uh, uh, per per the the stuff you heard about Google, it, it could be that we don't see ads from anyone in voice, which uh, I don't think any of us are going to feel very bad about. Yeah, one thing that was interesting that there was a lot of um, talk about is um, so uh, a lot of the the business and world leaders were at Davos, and I think they used that platform to announce that uh, this kind of interesting consortium of Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase are going to pull their efforts and work on healthcare. And uh, it was very nebulous. They're going to start a company. It's not clear who's going to own or run this company. Um, and it's kind of going to be dogfooding whatever this is they build for their own employees. Sounds like what they're doing. Uh, but, you know, this caused ripples throughout the world because as we've talked on the show, there's been talk of Amazon opening kind of a pharmacy online. And then you start to say, Hmm. You know, could Amazon? Uh, uh, I've seen some interesting pieces that kind of think about you know Amazon 
using the cloud services to kind of have health services. So, you know, a nice portal for your employees, the ability to manage uh, all the healthcare programs. And then uh, Berkshire Hathaway has a big division that does insurance. So they could kind of provide that. Uh, then you would also need some kind of a, you know, a financial service piece around that too. So that's going to be something to really watch, but this could, you know, this, this kind of thing could disrupt the entire insurance industry or, you know, all the HR systems out there. So, uh, or it could be a big nothing burger. So we'll have to kind of see where it goes. It's kind of a very nebulous right now, but, uh, it was all the talking heads could talk about for, for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, like it, it, you know, if it's, them trying to aggregate their buying power across those those three enterprises, that's probably not a very meaningful – you know, the three of them together don't employ as many people as Walmart, so they're probably not going to, you know, make dramatic changes to the healthcare system. But uh, if uh, Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos and Jamie Dimon are trying to collaborate and figure out uh, uh, a new product or a new a new way to solve uh, the healthcare problem for employees, that, that you know – those are three smart guys that have uh, broken paradigms before. So uh, that potentially could be interesting and exciting. Um, another piece of uh, non-Amazon news that uh, has has everyone buzzing is um, uh, early in the year, I think the first week of this year, the Supreme Court announced that they were going to hear a case, um, which is, I believe, South Carolina versus Overstock. Uh, dot com. And so this is a case about sales tax. Um, at, at the moment, uh, there's a uh, the Supreme Court has ruled on one sales tax case, which is North Carolina versus Quill. And in that ruling, essentially, they said that uh, in order to um, be required to collect sales tax, you have to have a physical presence or a nexus um, in in each state. And so if you have no presence in that state, you're not obligated to collect tax. Um, a lot of lawyers were really surprised by that that ruling um, because there are lots of other occasions where you're required to comply with the state's laws, even though you're not physically in that state. Um, but be that as it may, that's been the law of the land in e-commerce taxing for a long time is if you have a, if you uh, are have a physical presence in a state, you have to collect tax. If you don't have a physical presence in that state, you don't. Um, so again, most of the omni-channel retailers with brick and mortar stores in every state, they, they've always had to collect tax. Um, Amazon has, has slowly negotiated, uh, into paying taxes in, in essentially every state as they've opened more, more, uh, fulfillment centers and distribution centers. And so today Amazon collects tax in every state that has a state tax. So, uh, a couple states don't, don't have sales tax like, uh, Portland or, uh, Oregon and, in uh, maybe Nevada or Florida, um, but so they're they're collecting tax everywhere, so they're not really affected. Um, but if the Supreme Court uh, rules in favor of South Carolina, South Dakota in this this new case, which they could you know hear in I, I want to say March of this year, um, that suddenly obligates all other online sellers to start collecting tax. Um, and uh, there are a couple interesting things that happen then. Uh, Number one, like you potentially have to calculate a different tax to collect for every municipality, which potentially could be more than a thousand different uh, tax districts in the U.S. So that becomes a huge burden for small companies that are selling online to have to figure out all these taxes. It's probably a huge boom for the commercial tax companies that will sell services to all these guys. So you can you can you know, that's an extra fee for all those like, you know, small Shopify sellers. 
And uh, in my mind, the biggest entity out there not collecting sales tax is actually Amazon's 3P sellers. So while Amazon collects tax on all their 1P sales, they leave it up to the individual 3P sellers whether they have an obligation to collect sales tax or not. And the overwhelming majority don't, except for in the state they're doing business in. And so if this Supreme Court ruling uh, goes against overstock, uh, it could have a very pronounced effect on 3P selling on Amazon. Yeah. And it, it's pretty complicated too, because there's a bunch of scenarios, right? There's, uh, there's the scenario where I'm, I'm a seller on Amazon and I have Nexus in North Carolina, which is where my warehouse is and I'm shipping all over the country. So that's one. So what most sellers do there is they say they collect the sales tax for North Carolina and Amazon has settings for this. So they say, you know, 7% in North Carolina, I will collect that, but other states I don't have Nexus, et cetera. So that, that's the scenario. And then maybe you're a more sophisticated seller and you have two warehouses. So that gives you two points in Nexus. But then when you start using FBA, it gets really murky and mm-hmm. Amazon doesn't really opine on this. Amazon says you're responsible for figuring out your own tax thing. So, so Amazon's essentially saying, we're not going to be your lawyers here. We're not going to accept any liability for you collecting or not collecting, but you, you tell us what you want to do. And then they actually give you some, they've rolled out some nicer APIs that give you kind of that, you know, this, this tax software used to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now Amazon's rolled out, whatever they use, sellers can have access to it for, uh, you still pay for it, but not nearly at the scale. It's, it's pretty reasonable. Um, but then like it gets complicated, right? Because I'm using FBA and, you know, there's FBAs pretty much in most states, I think like 40 states and you, it's it's not very easy to get from Amazon where your product is. Once it gets kind of into that cloud of warehouses, it, it gets distributed out. And um, you also don't, you know, you don't have a lot of control over selling Amazon, hey, please don't put my product in Illinois because I really don't want to pay state sales tax there. That's not really how the, the you know, the fulfillment network works. So um, what most sellers do is they just kind of say, well, you know, I'll, I'm small business. I'll kind of take the risk on that. So this, this could be, you know, kind of cataclysmic for some of these guys that, you know, they may end up having a, a relatively complex set of states they need to figure out and not a lot of great infrastructure for figuring out where their products are. Um, the release valve on that would be seller fulfilled prime. And there was a release, a press release. Amazon's investing more and more around giving sellers that are kind of larger scale, the ability to have their products prime enabled, meaning they're prime eligible and are primed as they like to say. Uh, and, uh, and then using their own warehouses to get them to the consumers in two days. So that could be, you know, uh, it's interesting. Amazon's doing a lot more around there. Uh, obviously I think it's primarily cause they want more prime eligible product, but you could see it as a, uh, a way of kind of, if sellers were freaked out about this and wanted to have more control over Nexus, that that's the answer essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine though that Amazon is, is potentially rooting, um, for, uh, South Dakota in this case, because, uh, a lot of the three P sellers feel like one of the reasons they can be competitive and one of the reasons they can they can sell their goods, even when Amazon is also selling their same goods, um, is because of that tax advantage. Right. And so potentially if they don't have that tax advantage two two good things happen for Amazon, uh, the one the Amazon one P product wins the buy box more often Um and uh, number two, it sort of suddenly forces everyone in the Amazon ecosystem to comply completely with uh, with the law, and it eliminates all this gray area of who's collecting what tax on FBA. Um, 
And so that you, you could imagine in some ways Amazon would say, hey, in the long run, that's cleaner. Now, in the short run, that could mean 3P sales slow down on Amazon, which is, you know, uh, one of the more profitable elements. Um, so so who knows? Uh, one thing I would point out, uh, if the Supreme Court rules in favor of South Dakota, so now everyone's obligated to collect tax everywhere, uh, it's very likely um, that Congress doesn't just sit pat, right? So um, there was a lot of, of work on legislation about what kind of sales tax internet sales companies should be collecting a number of years ago. And there was this uh, thing called the Marketplace Fairness Act. And the, the, the main notion in the Marketplace Fairness Act is, hey, every online seller should be collecting tax, but it should be a simplified tax so we don't have all this this complicated math. And so instead of having a thousand different tax rates, maybe we agree that all online sellers pay one simplified tax rate. Um, and so you could imagine if the Supreme Court rules in South Dakota's favor, that might be the impetus uh, to Congress to pass some sort of law like that. And uh, conversely, if Overstock wins, uh, there's like eight more cases from other states that that are also in the queue and potentially could get to the Supreme Court later. So it's not like even if if uh, the Supreme Court rules in favor of Overstock that this is over. So it's an interesting thing to follow. Um, moving on to a, a couple last little news news quips. Uh, UPS also had their earnings call um, uh, yesterday or today. Um, and one interesting thing that came up. Uh, they they had a an, a good quarter as well, um, but uh, the uh, they they uh, they beat their estimates and their stock still took a little hit, largely because they announced that their capex spending for next year was going to be much higher than it had been in any previous year, and the explanation for that was that they're being forced to invest a lot more in sorting centers and airplanes. Um, to make all the the residential deliveries that they're doing for Amazon more profitable, and so uh, you know uh, the the sort of pithy head, headline is that UPS has an Amazon problem. Um, they're having to invest a lot to to deliver what they're already delivering to Amazon, and of course, Amazon's needs are only going to grow. You know, potentially thirty eight percent more. Yeah, and you know there there could be a bit of a trap here where. They're having to grow their infrastructure to support Amazon, and you know Amazon's growing infrastructure outside of UPS. So at some point, you know if you're UPS, you have to kind of start to wonder how far ahead of your skis can you get on that before it gets kind of risky. Exactly. If this was a video podcast, we'd be playing a uh, uh, Admiral Akbar saying it's a trap right now. <laughs> uh, reference I threw in there just for Scott. Um, and then uh, the the last earnings that jumped out at me from this week, uh, eBay had their earnings called yesterday, um, and I, I think they they like met or slightly bet, beat their earnings. Um, but the the big drama was in their call. They announced um, that their mandatory partnership with PayPal, whom as a reminder they used to own and and spun off as a separate company, when they spun them off. Uh, the spinoff included an agreement that eBay would keep using PayPal for a certain period of time. So that period of time is now expiring, and eBay has announced um, that they plan to shift payment providers from PayPal to a big European payment processor called Aiden. Um, and so that uh, 
like probably has some implications on eBay, um, but it has uh, potentially huge implications on PayPal because I think it, uh, eBay is something like 18% of PayPal's revenue. Yeah, they um, the CFO of PayPal was on CNBC and he said it was 18%, but it was like their slowest growing piece. There's a little shade. There's definitely something going on between those two companies. There's definitely, you know, I think it's economics driving it, but it seems like there's some more kind of, they they're not really getting along very well right now. Yeah, and it it you, like I two scenarios like you could totally imagine that this is an actual breakup, and if so, that is interesting. That says something about how competitive in the marketplace PayPal is. If eBay really feels like there's a meaningful savings to be had by shifting to this uh, uh, to another payment processor, that that you know potentially says something negative about PayPal's competitiveness. Um, but you could also imagine that eBay and PayPal are negotiating their first. Um, uh, fees agreement since their their sort of mandatory partnership expired, and all of this could potentially be somewhat posturing as they're sort of negotiating with each other. So you could think of it a little bit like the uh, Showtime having a breakup with Time Warner while they you know while they're negotiating how much uh, uh, the cable company should pay for for HBO or Showtime or something. Um, and with that, we have perfectly used up the allotted 45 minutes we had for today as we're trying to get the shows a little bit shorter for our listeners. Um, so we greatly appreciate uh, your participation in the show today. And if you have any questions or thoughts, as always, we'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page or on Twitter. We, we have a couple uh, good good questions that came through this this week, in fact, on Facebook. Um, so I, I think I owe some answers there, in fact. Um, and of course, if you enjoy the show, we would very greatly appreciate you taking just a second, jumping over to iTunes and giving us that five star review. Uh, we don't we don't charge anything and we don't run any ads on the show. So the way you can you can pay us for all the time we put in that show is write us a nice review on iTunes. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time. Happy e-commercing. And listening to the Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. <laughs>